Um, what we're going to look at today is encounters with Jesus. And to start off with, um, I'd really love it if you get your hands on a Bible. A hosting team, if you can distribute Bibles, that'd be brilliant. If you've got the electronic version, fantastic. If you're old school, also wonderful. And when you get your, and if you do get a, a red Bible, it'll be on page 1068. For everybody else, it's John chapter 5. And what we're going to do is this. I'm going, to, we're going to, I'm going to read it. We're going to read it together. And then a few questions are going to pop up on the, on the screen. And before I share anything about what I think the Lord might be saying to us uh, through this, I'd like us to have a think ourselves. It means talking to one another, which I know we're good at anyway. Uh, and it means that also that we're not expecting any th- deep theological question- answers. But just, Lord, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to other people? What does this mean going forward? So, let's read. John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else always goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning, or someone, something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to him, My father is always at work on to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Amen. Charlie, can we have the, up the questions, please? That would be wonderful. So, a few questions are going to appear in a minute. Lovely. What I'd like you to do is to have a look at those. Have your Bibles out and towards the people around you. What does this story say about the people? What does this story say about Jesus? And with question one in particular, you may see a few different characters within this scripture. What does this story have to say about you and who needs to hear this? And just pressure off. We're not looking for the deep and theological. We're just looking for a, a conversation. We can have about 
four, three or four minutes to do that. So why don't we uh, get in groups, move chairs around, that's absolutely fine. Groups of three and four, however it works for you. Let's talk to one another. Let's be church family. We'll come back in three. Off you go. Okay. Hopefully you've had uh, a few thoughts. And I think it's really important to have an opportunity to talk and discuss together before you hear anybody else uh, have a think about it. But actually, uh, when we think about stuff, I think, I was reading, I was listening to this uh, sermon. I, I, I have to caveat this with this is somebody else's point. But he started this talk by saying this. The most important thing you think, thing you think, is what you think when you think about God. The most important thing you can think is what you think when you think about God. What does that mean? It means that how we think about God affects how we think about ourselves, how we think about other people, how we think about our life, how we think about church, how we think about our future, how we think about our past, how we think about God affects our whole aspect of faith, of the church, and of ourselves. And how we think about God is so important. This is why, if we go back to our encounters with Jesus, we're looking at these different encounters with Jesus because they give a different um, aspect of his character. If you're anything like me, sometimes we limit God, Jesus to the man that we have experienced or that we think we know about. But so often in Scripture, we see different aspects of him, layers upon layers of his character and his love and his mercy, but also his challenge through the gospel. And so today is another perspective to bring, the two, to bring it into more high definition, the 3D into 4D and 5D and whatever else. And actually, when we look through the, chapter, the Gospel of John, we see a whole uh, range of him. From John 1, where he is the Word of God, the Word became flesh and moved among us. To the, John chapter 2, he's the miracle worker. John chapter 3, he is a saviour. With the, with the amazing verses of John 3.16. John chapter 4 of living water to the woman at the well. And so today we come to John chapter 5. And I believe that what this is really about is for people who are stuck to become unstuck. And if I was going to call this title, this talk, anything, it would be stuck in the mud. Principally because I would like that to be on the website, please. But also because when I was preparing for this and thinking about it, it I immediately was reminded of, uh, you, remember, you might remember when you were back at school, so before phones, before uh, uh, Wi-Fi, dare I say, before broadband, where people went outside and enjoyed the sun and ran around and talked verbally, eye to eye. What a wonderful time that was. We played games in the playground, didn't we? And one of the games that I remember playing in my primary school, which doesn't actually happen, doesn't seem to happen anymore, was Stuck in the Mud. And if you have never heard of Stuck in the Mud, let me explain the rules to you. It's like tag. You run around and you tig each other, but with one major rule change. When you get tag, you have to stay where you are and look a little bit like this, or sometimes like this, but for safeguarding, we do this. And you have to wait until someone goes underneath you or tags you or basically releases you from your stuckness. And for sometimes it can be that you are stuck for a very long time, especially if you're on the periphery of the, uh, of the playground and you can't play. And 
in a really simple way. I'm just trying to give a different analogy to it. This man at Bethsaida is stuck. He's stuck in the mud. This man at Bethsaida, for the, Bethsaida means a, a, the, a pool of, of peace and of hope. And when we read about this story, Bethsaida is a place where people believed that an angel would come and stir up the water every so often. And when that happened, the first person that, came, that went in was healed. Interestingly, if you look at your Bibles, that verse isn't even in there. It's kind of like a side-on. We have verse 3, we have, then we go to verse 5. If you don't believe me, check in your Bibles. But it is a description of what happens. And this man had been staying here for 38 years. I'm turning 28 in three days. That's 10 more years than I've, ever be, than I've even been existed. 38 years. And he's hoping, uh, he's putting his hope in very, very small parameters. Don't you think? 38 years, every so often, one person, and it's only the first person, will get healed. And he stays there. And Jesus walks along and he spots him. He sees this guy amongst many and he cares about him. He knows him. I wonder if that encounter with Jesus then is the same today. That he knows us. He knows our situation. He's, and he moves with compassion. Nine times it says that Jesus is moved with compassion. But it's not like a, oh, it's a, oh. It's like a gut-wrenching compassion. He's so moved within his stomach that he needs to go and do something. He sees this man's heartache and he cares. So we go back to the scripture. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him a question. And preparing for this talk, thinking this through, I found this question a really tough one. I was like, I can't even get my head around it. How are we even going to be able to talk about it and share with it with each other? Because he asks him this question. Do you want to be well? What a stupid question one could think. I thought, I was like, why would he ask a question? Surely this man who's been lying here for 38 years wants to be well, right? But what Jesus is asking him, apparently in the original Greek, is this. Do you want to be whole? Do you want full wholeness? It's a question beyond the immediate. And the actual question that underpins that is this. Why are you still doing it? 38 years? Waiting on a slim hope? And you've done nothing else? What are you doing? Let's make something different. Let's unstick you. And it sounds offensive. It sounds wrong. But Jesus wants to cut past anything else and say to him, I want you to be whole. And so, and so this man gets healed. He walks off and Jesus slips away. But then what I really love about this is that Jesus goes and finds him out again. And he has, and he has another dialogue with him, which again seems, again, slightly offensive. But he says this, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Which sounds a little bit old school, stop sinning. Sounds a little bit ungracy. Sounds a little bit like, well, why would you, surely, what, what's going on there? But actually, what this is saying is, your felt need is not your greatest need. What I want for you is to be walking in wholeness. Physically, yes. 
emotionally, of course, but spiritually. There is something going on underneath. Stop getting stuck and let's see if we can you be healed in your wholeness. I wonder how many of us get stuck waiting for something to happen and miss the Jesus opportunity. I wonder how many of us have this, if this happens, then I will do that. Or if I see this happen in my life, then we can go forward. The last couple of weeks of this PGC course have definitely been the toughest. And sometimes I've been wishing, oh Lord, I just want to get through it. Just get me through it. I just want to get through it. And what I feel Jesus has been challenging me about is, but you're not looking at the day-on-day interactions you have with children and, and adults and parents. You're missing it. But how often do we get stuck? This encounter with Jesus that, this, that he has with this man, it's a huge invitation. Do we want to be whole? Do we want to be healed emotionally, physically, spiritually? Do we want to get unstuck? And there's another group who've also become stuck. And isn't it interesting? You kind of think about when Jesus is um, walking, that the people that you would think would love him the most hate him the most. The people that you think would distance themselves from Jesus actually become closer to him. And so the people he offends the most is the Jewish leaders. And they, get ups- and they are wrapped and they're stuck in, their, in, their, um, in the Jewish law of, of, of that time, which was in, in its, in, in its uh, original form to try and get, bring people closer to God. But they were getting stuck under law upon law upon law. So much so that a God-given grace law of Sabbath is mainly something that is oppressive to the point where a Jewish man walking down, carrying his mat, is called work. Isn't that ridiculous? The next stage could be, oh, you're growing your hair. That is work. Do you not think that that is a completely unbelievable um, skewing of the law? And what does Jesus say to them? He throws, his, he throws a hand grenade in and says, the Sabbath was made for me, for me, not me being made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't wrong, but it's all about you getting to know God better. The Sabbath is about rest. It's about reconnection. It's not about striving. And I wonder if... Uh, for some of us, we feel like we've got a little bit stuck in our own faith. Maybe church is the routine. Maybe singing songs is a little bit like Christian karaoke. We just get up, we see the songs on the ball, on the ball and we just sing them because we know them. And sometimes if you know them really well, we can close our eyes because we know all the words. You know? But we move beyond that. Has church, has faith, not church, has faith become a little bit stuck? Because actually, I wonder if Jesus wants to blow a hand grenade into each of our lives and say, do you understand the reason why we're doing this? We sing songs because we want to glorify the Lord. We come together because we're a church family. We go out because what we have inside of us is the best thing that, that this world ever needs to hear. It's not law. It's not pressure. It's not a should. It's not a shouldn't. It's not a must. It's a get to. It's an opportunity. It's full of grace. But sometimes we can get stuck. And finally, there's one more cat, there's one more group of people, which 
You wouldn't necessarily notice because they're not in the story as much, really. But John is there. The writer of this gospel, uh, John, he's one of the disciples. So he's obviously there because he's giving an eyewitness account of what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is, is going on through his ministry and these people are trying to follow him and they're trying to figure it out. And they're like, oh my word, how are you doing what you're doing? And it's a little bit pressured. But what does Jesus say to them? What does he say to all of us? He says this, the son can do nothing by himself. He can, o- he can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, so the son does also. Only do what we see the Father do. Which means that we don't have to become stuck in, uh, in what other people think we should do or what, commu- or what society says we need to do or what an Instagram uh, photo says of what this is what life should be like. We don't have to conform to any of those things because actually all we need to do is follow what the Father does and do what we see Jesus does. My relationship, our relationship with God is where all life comes from. It's not about striving and it's not about driving. So, my question to all of us tonight is is this. In what way do sometimes we know we have become stuck? In what way do we connect with perhaps the man at Bethsaida where we're focused on that one thing? If that one thing doesn't happen, then actually we just don't do anything else. Or maybe we're like the Jewish leaders where we know what we should do but, and, sometimes, and that should kind of gets the, becomes the main priority. And actually we just need to rest and enjoy the Lord again and connect with him. Or maybe it's that as disciples, we're trying to figure out what on earth are we supposed to do with our life? And people are telling me this, and maybe workplaces are saying, this is the priority that you need to have in your life. Or friends are saying one through another. And actually what Jesus says is, just do what I, I do, what my, I see my father do. Why don't you just follow me? All of us this evening have an opportunity to connect with the Lord again and to hear a specific truth that we need to hear. So let me pray for us as we go on to our next bit. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, this scripture talks about your character and your goodness and your grace, but also the challenge of where we can get stuck. And Father, I pray for all of us For any of us who are stuck, who feel stuck, who have been stuck for a long time, in whatever way that is, Lord, that tonight that something may shift through your truth and your Holy Spirit and through an encounter with you that we may hear and feel and see something different, that something will change, that we can come out of our time together, but more importantly with our time with you, with a sense of something new, whether that's purpose or vision or anything else. Because we recognize, Lord, that you are God above everything else, that you know us, that you love us, and that you came to save us. Lord, do what only you can do in this place by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.